excited for the first one i am yeah it's interesting because there's not much of a i don't know there's not a roadmap really we just know that some of these things need to be out there right oh yeah we're just making up stuff as we go so (laughs) so hopefully some people will actually listen to this we'll see maybe maybe one or two maybe our moms yeah you know that'd be kind of (laughs) nice so we'll see hi mom yeah So I'm excited to do this podcast. This is the podcast where we're going to go through John Senior's list of the thousand good books and talk about it. Yeah, man, how many how many books you think you read in your lifetime? Not a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> not even close, probably. I'm right there with you. Not even through school, for sure not. Yeah, um, not especially even, not great books. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. So this is this is exciting. We're definitely uh, two quarter educated guys, two noobs to this whole game. Definitely not PhDs or Dude. Uh, degreed in this field at all, so it should be really quarter educated. What does that mean? Quarter educated. What's a, it's a term that uh, John Senior uses. It's kind of disparaging a little bit, but <laughs> you know, uh, thank you. It's just true. So it's it's kind of the reason we're doing this, or or why I'm doing this, is to <laughs> better educate myself in in reality, in in Christendom as much as we can, because we're kind of living in a traditionless age. So he's kind of a an awesome voice to help us, you know, regain some of the tradition of our fathers. Yeah. I guess before we dive on in, because I've already got stuff to say and to talk about, who are you? Why are you doing it? Yeah. So my name's Caleb. I am, I work for the church. I'm married. I have two kids. I am one of those guys who's lived in, uh, just kind of in the secular world, but am striving more and more as life goes on to, uh, try to rediscover what it means to be human, um, to be better in touch with reality and better in touch with the, the creator who whose love moves the stars. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. I'm also, uh, I like to play the accordion in my free time. I'm a, a small scale, you know, home butcher, butcher guy. So, as my, my week's pretty busy, we picked the worst week to do this because <laughs> I gotta. I'm redoing some floors in my in my shop right now because I got to butcher a cow on Saturday. So it's gonna be a pretty fun week. But yeah. uh, what about you? Who is Rowdy? Rowdy, it's a good name. That's a good question. It's a solid name. <laughs> the craziest yes. name ever. I mean, you've got some some pretty wild parents to name you Rowdy. That's for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it is my first name on the license, on the certificate, and everything. Official. Um, yeah, so I'm Rowdy. Um, I am a Catholic convert. Uh, came into the church about three years ago. That's when I met Caleb here. Um, I got a wife, uh, one little girl, and one on the way, due in May. Um, and yeah, Caleb just kind of turned me on to John Sr. and his philosophy. And ever since I dove into the big Catholic world, I've just been mesmerized by the history and the beauty of it and just trying to soak in all that I can, you know? Oh, yeah. And so this is just one more step in that direction of trying to, you know, embrace reality, what's real, you know, and try to get away from this, um, for lack of a better word, death culture that we live in these days, you know? Absolutely. So. Yeah, it's yeah. been it's been fun uh, being such good friends with Rowdy. He's he's a, the godfather to one of my kids, and I'm, I'm the godfather to one of his as well. 
and uh, it's just really been great getting to know you yeah. and uh, being friends with you. That, and it's crazy that it all started in an RCIA class, mm-hmm. you know, when you were coming into the church for the first time. Rowdy's the boldest student I've ever had in <laughs> RCIA because he didn't just, you know, convert to the faith, but he, like, calls his Protestant missionary Baptist church in the middle of <laughs> nowhere, Texas, and he tells him he's converting. Here's the number to this guy. You need to call him and talk to him about this. <laughs> and so uh, all of a sudden I'm uh, doing apologetics on the phone, he was already doing apologetics with them back and yeah. forth for hours. So yeah. Definitely one of the boldest guys <laughs> to ever convert to the faith. So that's been, it was pretty awesome to see. Yeah, it was something else. I mean, I, I didn't really grow up super church going. If I did, I went with friends, right? But yeah, it was just this southern, you know, Bible Belt of Texas, little missionary Baptist church, great people, right? And they really foster a love for Jesus and a love for the Bible, you know. But it's, I had never even really heard or considered Catholicism growing oh, yeah. up there, you know. And so when I'm, well, I converted my wife's Catholic. She's credo Catholic. And so I uh, I met her, and she laid it out for me. She wants a bunch of kids, and her husband has to be Catholic. So I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> better better step up yeah. to the game. Let me study up, and I did. And, man, I was just, I don't know, mesmerized by the whole the whole history and just all of it, man. And oh, yeah. encountered Christ for real this time. And, yeah, it was pretty incredible. But, yeah, those people back home, man, yeah, they, they started emailing me and <laughs> about all the things and <laughs> hitting me with the arguments, and it was good. But... No, that was that was a great RCIA class. So yeah, that was that was a lot of fun, man. It's 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 good to have you still here. You know, a lot of those people come into the church, and then, you know, we don't see them as much. But uh, it's yeah. really been great to walk with you on your journey and all that kind of stuff. So I'm excited to go down this journey with you mm-hmm. through the thousand good books, man. I don't know if we're ready. I don't know why you why, why did I sign up for this? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, man. No, a thousand books. So uh, that should be that should be good. Luckily. Uh, they're like children's books, so that'll that'll be. That'll <laughs> they have be. pictures. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're just here for the illustrations, yeah. really. So uh, we're excited to start this process, though, and we we in, invite you to join the, through this process with us as well. So uh, we're going to get together every week or every other week and talk about you know these good books on John Senior's list that we're reading, uh, but we encourage you to read them with us as well and then uh, join the conversation. So this week we're going we're going to be talking about John Senior, who he is, and you know yeah. why does he want us to read these thousand good books, and then next week onto uh, Aesop's Fables, and then to Arabian Nights. So it should be should be a fun yeah. month, you know. Yeah, and I feel like if people are listening, they're like, "Why are you guys reading children's books, right?" And it, it's kind of you'll learn as we begin to talk and we go through John Senior's philosophy of like why it is so important and something that we missed from our childhood of Absolutely. just being able to really use our imaginations and learn from these children's books and be like, we'll, we'll get into it at some point, I'm sure, but the whole idea of imagination and why that's even important is, is incredible how he lays it out, you know? Um, but yeah, so broad overview of John Senior. So Caleb has been reading John Senior's actual, his two big works besides his poems that he wrote. Um, which was the the death of Christian culture and the restoration of Christian culture. Oh yeah, um, and, and that's kind of how you find out that you're quarter educated, you know? <laughs> yeah. When you start reading some John Senior, yeah, and was, uh, uh, go, you know, what in the world are all these references? <laughs> There's just Latin randomly thrown in yeah. without any explanation. So uh, a lot of Aristotle. I yeah. Mean. <laughs> yeah. Caleb gave me the option. He said, "You can read 
John Senior's works, or here's this uh, this biography about him. And I took opened <laughs> up, opened up the death of Christian culture and kind of looked at it and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the other one. <laughs> you know, but little did I know that Father Bethel. Yeah, that's the, pretty dense too. It's pretty dense the first part. Yeah, yep. but it's all good stuff, and he breaks it down really well. So yeah, he's been reading those, and I just read the biography of John Senior's life to try to get an idea of who the man was, and you know what made him into such a great teacher, right? So who was John Sr., Caleb? Who was the man? Yeah, that's a good question. Who was John Sr., man? He was a, he's been very influential in my life in the last couple of years um, and has, was a very influential in a lot of people's life as a professor at the University of Kansas where he led something called the Integrated Humanities Program with uh, Professor Quinn and uh, Professor Nilick. Nilick, yeah. And yeah. so, uh, but I, I think you know a little bit more, Rowdy. What what can you tell us about, you know, this uh, great figure, you know, and his life growing up and kind of what led him to be, uh, you know, where he was and yeah. ended up with like 200 Catholic converts to the faith through a uh, integrated humanities program, through just reading the great books, yeah, you know. It was through an English literature program reading the great books at a secular university and he had over 200 catholic converts which crazy is, you know there's something there right it you know i we don't want to give any any human too much praise or put them on the level of god but i mean there's something to be recognized there right and i am by no means a john senior scholar hopefully one day we can yeah. get someone in here who is oh but, yeah i'd love to do that yeah so john senior he had quite the life and quite the journey he wasn't um i think he if i remember correctly from the book i think he was technically a cradle catholic but they didn't really bring him up in the faith at all he grew up on uh, the East Coast, and he kind of just grew up in kind of a mediocre Christian family, but he had a passion for poetry, and he was he was read good books as a kid. That was probably the best part that of his childhood that really led him down the path that he went down. Um, but the, the big crazy story is that he just, I think it was, he was like 12 yeah. or like 13 maybe. I could be getting the ages wrong. Um mm-hmm. It's all right. But, yeah, he, he just hopped on a train and went to the, <laughs> went west because he wanted to go live with the Cowboys, right? Yeah. That is insane to think of, like, my little girl, if she got older and just left. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing, I mean, I think the thing about Senior, it seems like the books actually shaped his life. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he let these books shape him. And uh, he was reading a lot of Cowboy stories and uh, wanted to be a Cowboy. So he just ups and leaves, <laughs> goes west, jumps on a Greyhound bus. So he goes west and, and eventually he's picked up by a um, guy who works in a mine uh, who, who let him live with him for, you know, like a month or two. Um, yeah. And he, you know, contacted his parents and told him he's safe. And then finally, he, you know. He, oh, it's like he, a couple months later, though. Yeah, a couple months later. his parents, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm, just, I'm here working yeah, on the farm. Exactly. You know. Yeah, so then he, uh, so then his dad flies in and gets him and brings it back for the school year with the, um understanding that he could come back west and during the summer breaks and be a far, you know, be uh, a cowboy. And so then, you know, after that, he worked on a ranch yeah. in the summers and spent his time reading great books and drinking coffee around the fire with the other cowboys and all that kind of stuff. And that, yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, a crazy concept of that fatherly decision that his dad made. All right. What the, the recognition to see that, the man, John Sr., obviously there was such a strong desire to get out of the city. Oh, yeah. To get out of the industrial revolution that was happening at yep. his childhood time. The depression. Know, the depression, right? And just to see all that and his desire to go west and for his dad to be able to be like, you know what? Even though you just ran away for a couple months with no notice. Yeah. Your, your mom has been a complete mess, you know? Exactly. That 
I'm gonna. It's okay. You can. Here, here's the deal. Yeah. Continue your schooling during the summer. Go be a cowboy. Yeah, exactly. Right? Just keep in contact. That's. I feel like that's such a wild fatherly decision, but also such a wise one. Right? Yeah, exactly. There's that no he, way I he can do knows it. his kid. Right? Yeah. It, will, it was either that or it was just like the depression. They just needed money, you know? <laughs> Get out of the house. They're like, go, go away for the summer. Go <laughs> yeah. be somebody else's problem, you know? Yeah. Either way. But, but um, uh, what, a, what an amazing thing that these books shaped him into doing that, into, into going and being the cowboy. Yeah. You know? And he, you know, like, if you look at pictures of John Sr. too, he doesn't look like a cowboy. Like, no. you would think a cowboy. He's just this, like, tall, skinny white dude with, like, a come over, right? But, and he kind of, he wears glasses. Like, looks like a straight you know, college professor, basically what you would think about that. But yeah, he lived on the farm. He worked on the ranch. And some of the stories from Bethel's book are pretty funny of how he, it wasn't like he went there and he just thrived, right? No, he, he learned hard lessons, right? There was one, there was one story where he was hauling, um, I think it was some hay or something, or he was doing something with some hay mm-hmm. and he did something wrong and it fell on top of one of the cowboys. Oh just, yeah. He yeah, just yeah. got all over him. <laughs> and the, the other, the other hand was like, boy, you better run. Yeah. <laughs> He'll kill you. And he took off. And there's other little stories like that. of just yeah. lessons learned. Right. But like Caleb was saying, just sitting around the fire with the cowboys, singing songs, telling stories. Yeah. It, so one part of heart, part of his philosophy is the great books. And the other part is nature in the real and the reality. Right. And so he kind of had, the great books kind of in his early childhood and on, in into his adolescence, but they also had the nature part for being a cowboy of really like being planted in the soil. Oh yeah. Right. And Absolutely. Yeah. And it's such a kind of a romantic life that all, every guy has, you know, forever wanting to be a cowboy. We grew up <laughs> naturally wanting to be cowboys, you know, wanting to go shoot the, you know, shoot the gun and ride the horse and all that kind of stuff. And some of us in this life might get a, a little glimpse into that, yeah. you know, um, you know, we got cows, but that doesn't mean you're, you know, you're out there on the wild oh, yeah. west. And, I mean, and they were doing, you know, we, when we think of farms and ranches these days, it's fence, yeah. it's fenced ranches, right? Oh, yeah, fenced ranches. But there ranches. was, he found this little pocket somehow where it was it was at the tail end of, like, the, what do they call them, the cattle drives. Oh, yeah. And he would go on the cattle drives with the cowboys, mm-hmm. right? And I can only imagine how that's just, yeah. you're on a horse, you're pushing these cattle through the, <laughs> the wilderness yeah, and the fields, exactly. you know, and camping all night, looking at the stars, you know? Yep. I bet it was rugged, hard, yeah. and beautiful and amazing all he the actually, same time. He actually lived the dang thing. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that was one of my favorite stories and let these let these books shape him. I mean, I can't imagine. So um, that's really great. Well, what about him later? So he goes on, he goes goes back home, goes to school, um, goes to Columbia University where he where he stutters studies stutters. Where he studies <laughs> under uh on Charles Van under Charles Van Doren. Mark Van Doren. Or oh it's Mark Van Doren. It may be maybe right? Charles, but I think Mark, No, it's Mark. Mark. Okay, yeah. Charles is his son, maybe. Yeah. So Mark Van Doren was kind of a famous uh was a famous dude at the time, was a very famous uh humanities teacher. And he actually is one that taught um, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh Thomas Merton as well. Maybe, I don't know. I and, couldn't uh, tell you, but I, I was because a couple of other uh, Catholic authors. Did Plato or Aristotle come first? I never can remember. Ooh, boy, don't ask me that. We're, we're, <laughs> well, this either is the good way, books program. If, yeah. if Aristotle came first, Mark Van Doren was senior's Aristotle, right? Yeah, absolutely. He was the teacher for senior, right? And yeah. like you said, he, he studied under Mark Van Doren, and he kind of found his teacher. I think it's, he had a statement like that. He had found his person, you know, and so he yeah. kind of followed him and took all his classes, and I think that's really what ignited his journey into education was learning under Mark Van Duren his great books program. Yeah. You know, and, and unlike Thomas Merton, who kind of famously went off towards the east at the later parts of his life, 
Um, John Senior did the absolute opposite of that. So <laughs> yeah. he he kind of dove you know dove into Eastern thought and spirituality and all of that early in his life. Uh, saw that there is you know nothing to it. That ultimately it's just nothingness. You know, it's it's this yeah. anti-reality, um, which is kind of the whole goal of Eastern spirituality. And then he decides to come back and and to be Catholic and to live the faith and to live life in reality. Yeah. Which is kind of a crazy thing. Yeah. And John Sr., he's going to the East or whatever. But he was, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to say, was that the fascinating thing is, and I want to talk about this as well, but it's kind of a completely different topic of a movie I watched that kind of was Eastern, had more of an Eastern thought spin to it. But how the Eastern and the Western fields of thought, they kind of have the, yes and no, we're going to get into it, but the bases are like almost similar. And it's like they're all going towards the same thing, but then there's a fork in the road. And one of them leads to nothingness, like John Sr. found. Yeah. And the other one is that there's a God and he loves us and he's intimate with us, right? Yeah. And it's kind of like, that's where they diverge, like mm-hmm. just drastically. You know, and there's differences between them, right? But it was pretty fascinating to see his journey. Because he, he says from his early childhood, he always, he was just in search of meaning. Yeah. That's what drove him out west to go live with the cowboys. He just wanted to, he wanted to live something more real because he what he saw on the industrial side and on the east coast just wasn't real. Yeah, you know, and so he went on this big journey into eastern spirituality and learned from these teachers. Yeah, and found like, a mysticism there even. Yeah, yeah, and, and he was really into it. And it's there's p- part of the book um, that I was reading. They said that he kind of hopped around from different things. You know, whatever kind of tickled his fancy per se. You know, and. And there was a statement from a colleague of his that basically they saw him taking communion, like when he first converted, when he was like, I think late thirties maybe. And they say, Oh, there goes senior on a new high, you know? And so yeah. it kind of, he just kind of jumped from one thing to the other, just in search of truth. But he landed in Catholicism and yeah, landed in truth, Western tradition. And he landed there and he held onto it tight and he just spread the love per se. Yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. You know, for him, a really big deal is, um, is the idea that comes from Aristotle, which is that, you know, the truth out exists outside of ourselves, and then it can be known. Mm-hmm. And so that we, we, we discover the truth, but, but it's, it's objective. It's not, it's not something that's different for every person. A rock is a rock no matter what. Like, you don't, your mind doesn't make a rock become a rock. It's always a rock. It's yeah. there. You know, it's always hard. You know, he used to say the, I think his 1984 line a lot, which is, uh, you know, water's wet and our rocks are hard. Yeah. And that, that was a big thing to him, because if you can say that, you're saying that there is a truth that exists outside of myself. Yeah. And the kind of Eastern thought is more of that, uh, that everything could be an illusion. Yeah, that like truth, illusion. Yeah, everything's an illusion. <laughs> truth is like made up in your mind. Yeah. Your mind creates this truth. And we're kind of seeing that a lot today um, yeah. in a lot of our practices, a lot of people who, uh, you know, think that they can change reality. You know, mm-hmm. if you feel like, you know, maybe Rowdy feels like tomorrow he's a girl, <laughs> so he just decides to be a girl. Yeah. I mean, just kind of absurd stuff like that, but it's kind of the logical end of, of that thought of, of not seeing reality as existing outside of ourselves, as being created by God and and discovering it, you know, or realizing it, Yeah. you know, so much as uh, thinking that, you know, you could change it, maybe... You know, maybe Rowdy's really a butterfly. Maybe he's a bird, you know. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Maybe I'll just sprout some wings real quick. Exactly. Know? Yeah. <laughs> and so um, uh, that realism really seemed to uh, drive John Sr.'s life in a lot of ways and, and a lot of his philosophy. Because if you if you say that 
you know, a truth that exists outside of yourself, you know, um, that kind of leads us to ask the question of who created it. Yeah. You know, I think in that sense. Yeah. And that there is one truth. Yeah. You know, and uh, he has a name. Yeah. And so um, it kind of leads us down the road to Catholicism and uh, to, to the faith. And so. Yeah. Pretty crazy, because he because he wrote when he was I think he was a professor at this point or a graduate student because he wrote a dissert his dissertation. Oh yeah. He was still in the, the eastern, way down and out. The right? way down and out. Yeah, and he was still in the eastern, his eastern thought right, and so yeah. his whole idea. Caleb could probably explain it a little better than I can because I'm still, I'm still wrestling with some of the stuff that we're was, quarter educated. So uh, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Even so, we, we read these books, but <laughs> yeah, like a part of the eastern spirituality is that you know, heaven and hell are the same. Yeah. Right. Everything is one, but everything is nothing. Yeah. Which Sounds super contradictory, but it's it's what the Eastern spirituality boils down to. Yeah, that's what right? that's what the Buddha is. Is he is he he's, he's <laughs> the one that comes to the, like this enlightenment, which is you know a realization that all are one, and uh, eventually there's this kind of tale of being in a garden and and then realizing you know seeing a, a a butterfly and then realizing that you're the butterfly and then that you're the garden itself. You know yeah. that you are one with everything, or you look out over a sea and you see you know, a gray sea, a gray sky, uh, you know, gray land, and just a gray bird flying across it. And you might see the ripple of the water, but soon everything becomes one. And that's kind of the meditation that, that there are. Yeah. Um, so that all all is one, and so all is nothing. And that's the ultimateness. When you when you become a, uh, a Buddha, yeah. you know, is what he says, is that, like, is when you come to the realization that, you're one with everything and not even nothing exists. Yeah. And so you go on living life, you know, basically acting yeah. as if the world exists. Which is wild. And they talk about that in the book of how, like, you know, people who believe this spirituality, they, they fully believe that everything is one and everything is nothing. Yeah. But they go on acting like everything is real in their day-to-day lives, right? And so it, it's, it seems... It's you know, tr- but, it's, but it's not even so much as acting. <clears throat> it's just a lying to themselves because the world is real. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you can't, yeah, you can't just, you can't just, you know, well, I'm gonna, uh, just uh, fade into the ether. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, you've got to, you've got to eat or you're going to die. Yeah. I'm going to do a little side tangent just to bring it up because I feel like it's, it applies a little bit. So I watched a movie. It was called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. You ever heard of it? You know what? I have, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah. And just a quick tangent is that it was, it's a, a quirky movie, probably not for kids. There's a couple of scenes in there that aren't, aren't very wholesome. Yeah. We're going to talk about smashing the TV in a second, but we're going to go on this one first. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I was watching that, and and it's a it's a really cool – I mean, if you like, you know, visually pleasing movies and effects, and, like, it was low budget by these two guys who created it, and it, it's a cool movie, and it's got a cool theme of, like, a young person going through depression, and their mom's depressed too, and how they come together. And the whole movie – it, you're you're coming to understand that this girl is just hurting. She's depressed. She feels like the world is just, there's nothing to it. I can do whatever I want because nothing matters. Yeah. Right. And you're coming to this point where the mom's kind of peeking with her. And all of a sudden, like, you think they're going to make this connection where, like, no, like, there is meaning. Like, we love each other. Love yeah. is the meaning. But they don't. They just go off the cliff and say, and the mom comes to the realization and tells the daughter, you're right. None of this matters. But we're here together. And that's oh, that's terrible. And it's like that's so bad. Yeah, and it's like I'm so glad I don't live in that world. Yeah, exactly. That's horrible. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no hope. In it's that just world. nihilistic. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's nothing that exists. Nothing matters. And people and so. raved about this movie. We're like, oh, this is crazy. such a great movie. It has such a touching, 
touching moments, which it yeah. does. And it, it they because they, people live that life. Well, yeah, and like they and the movie was good because it portrayed depression in a real way, yeah. um, in a real tangible way of how that feels. Mm-hmm. But their conclusion was just, just there's no hope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right. You're you're depressed for a reason. Nothing matters. Yeah, exactly. you should be depressed. Yeah. But at least we're <laughs> depressed together. Yeah, <laughs> you know. How and crazy. I just and I was in the process of reading the part one and part two of the book where he really is defining senior's journey through the spirituality of the Eastern spirituality. And so it just hit, it hit home a different way. And I was like, man, that's yeah, so wild. The Eastern spirituality parts of it, like really, really uh, drove home for me too. Um, just, just in our everyday uh, of experiences of this, because I feel like now after reading this book, you really see this everywhere mm-hmm. and you see John seniors like way of pushing back against it, you know, yeah. all things being one, you know, it, it's, it's almost like you're just living in, in a, in a kind of a blase world, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of living, you know, without loving, without feeling, without anything is kind of the end goal of this. Um, and I, I see that all around the world nowadays with us, which is with TV, you know, TV is the, the original one probably yeah. of uh, distracting us, but also like doom scrolling oh, man. on uh, TikTok, social media, yeah. you know. I mean, you can you can literally blow hours mm-hmm. in the day and never realize where they went. Never remember a single thing that you saw, you know, yeah. unless it's super important, unless, unless you saw maybe like somebody, you know, got engaged or something like that or had a baby. Yeah. But other than that, you're not even going to remember um, and well, this is a, all that kind of Eastern yeah. spirituality creeping in. Maybe, you know, the Steve Jobs of the world <laughs> and those kind of had had a plan all along. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, too, is like there's there's good to be found in this technology. But just with human nature, our fallen human nature and, and the speed that we're progressing. Yeah. It's like we don't ever really get to see the fruits of that because 90 percent of it is just hedonistic nonsense. Yeah. And so. Um, See, and, and Rowdy's a little bit more sympathetic to technology than I am. <laughs> Although I am, I'm, uh, I'm definitely not, you know, uh, unsympathetic to technology. I definitely have the air conditioning, you know, going on in the from, house and from all that kind Amish of stuff. to Steve Jobs, where you at? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's just a, he's a notch above Amish. Well, I, I wish, <laughs> I wish I was a notch above Amish. It's hard. Honestly. It's hard to detach. Like, yeah. you, it's with our professional lives and what we do. Like you, I can remember you talking about. You know, going down to the the wise phone, which you you've went back to. But oh yeah, I remember you saying like you just you couldn't do it with your job because yeah. you just you needed the smartphone. Yeah, I had to have the social media and all that kind of stuff. But then you soon realize that you're you're a slave to your phone, so uh, you gotta you gotta get the wise phone and, and and smash the television set, which is something I learned from John Senior and, and has really transformed my life and. In a, in a big way, just very concretely, you know, I started realizing, you know, you kind of live this life in this malaise, and you just kind of go along, and every night you come home, and you eat, eat dinner, and you watch TV, and you uh, just drown the night away, yeah. you know, maybe you didn't even spend time with your kids, um, and even if you did, you know, you're on your phone the whole time, so you're not necessarily thinking about it, but uh, John Sr., you know, is such a big proponent of smashing the television set, which is something that he, you know, he tells people to do and to live a real life, Mm -hmm. you know, to spend time with your family, singing songs, singing actual music, not listening to, you know, these pixelated versions that you can get through. Instead of watching football, football game on the TV, go out and play football. Yeah, go out and play football. You love it so much. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Get your hands in the dirt, you know, grow some of your own food, uh, raise your own animals, you know, live real life the way that people have always lived life. And, and I think it makes a lot of sense, 
you know, looking at our world, the state of our world nowadays, people just live these disconnected lives. They don't know where their food comes from. Um, they can't even make sense of technology. You know, like for instance, your email notification on your phone is a, is a picture of a, of a snail mail letter, you know, like that's how we make sense of it. The phone, but, I, the phone icon is still an old phone. Yeah, it's still like, an old phone. There's because, kids who are born who probably don't even know what that symbol no, means. No, because that's the only thing that makes sense to us. Yeah. You know, beyond that, what, what does it mean to have just microchips? What does that mean to anybody? Yeah. It doesn't mean anything to me. You know, I have no idea how you could put together a phone. Now I have some friends who know how to put together computers and stuff. <laughs> yeah. They're in a kit. But how do you how do you create that out of nothing? Who knows? Yeah. You know, and a lot of technology is like that nowadays. It's just so disconnected from reality. Yeah. It's just arti- artificial, you know, images on artificial screens. Yeah. That we're, you know, watching in an ar- artificial life. You know, we're sitting there in, in um, air-conditioned, you know... Uh, as uh, John Senior calls the air-conditioned Holocaust, but <laughs> in these air-conditioned houses, and so we've forgotten the joy of the first cold, cool day of fall, yeah, or the first warm day of spring, yeah. You know, we we've forgotten all these joys because we haven't had to go on through the ups and downs, you know, of 104 degrees in Texas, which is where yeah. we live, mm-hmm. you know, and actually experiencing that. And uh, yeah, it's nice. Air conditioning is nice. <laughs> But it also took away some of that joy because it's always the same. It's always perfectly 70, you yeah. know, 70 degrees in the house or whatever. The perfect temperature. Well, that was part of their, and so we'll get to, in the book, the part of the book that I was reading after I got done with John Senior's history, um, before they got to the, the University of Kansas, it talks about his education for boys. And part of that for boys is, he like, he says that if you can't do it full time for like a, a boarding school or whatever, at least two weeks out of the year, they need to go, like on an on an adventure trip, and they and they don't need air conditioning. They need like, if if he could have his way, like they have no plumbing, yeah. no running water, and he's like, there's some bears probably, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like you gotta and, and and he just because they need to experience nature. They need to like you said, they need to experience the first breeze of fall, yeah. right? The, they need to learn how to sweat and just sleep in the hot, yeah. right? Because that's and how people have done it for reality, years. yeah, and. And he was pretty hyperbolic and stuff and extreme in his statements when he said yeah. those things, but he really believed a lot of it in how that's the ideal and we should strive for it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, so there, there are certain things that John Sr. tells us to do that we've done, and um, and they've, they've made a big impact on my life, mm-hmm. like getting rid of the television, literally smashing the TV <laughs> has, uh, has transformed my life in a, long, in a lot yeah. of ways, of just the time that I spend with my kids and yeah. my wife, and... Uh, and he says, you know, play music and, and uh, sing songs, and, and we do that together. Yeah. And that really has transformed our lives in a lot of ways. So. Yeah, I mean, when we, I think when I, when Caleb and I started really getting a little closer, he was, I'd hear him mention John Sr. all the time, and, and he told me about the TV part and getting rid of his TV, and I was like, all right, guys, whatever, okay, yeah. you know. But then <laughs> exactly. my wife and I, we went over there, we were just over visiting, and it it really is it's it's so simple, but it's so nice to come into a home where the TV isn't the focal point of the living room. There's just two couches that face each other, exactly. and you sit in there and you just conversate, right? Or you could be in the kitchen, or like it, it's the community is the focal point besides not the TV, right? You don't always have to have something on the TV for people who don't want to talk to watch, right? And it was it, it was refreshing, and it was so refreshing that Marissa and I uh, we downsized. 
So we we sold. We had three TVs in our house. Which thinking back now, it's like, why? Why do I need three? Why <laughs> just do one I need for the bathroom? Yeah, you know, right. Just, just in case. Yeah. And but we downsized just one TV. We got rid of the big TV and we went to a smaller one. And we had that in the living room. But now we're about to move potentially, and she's kind of on board with it, which is kind of wild to me. But she's on board with not having a TV in the house at all. Right, but I'm—I mean, both of us—we enjoy movies and we enjoy cinema. That's kind of how we bonded early in our relationship. So we're gonna keep the TV. Yeah, but just smash it. <laughs> just all, next time I'm over there, yeah, yeah <laughs> just steal it. But we're just gonna keep it in the garage, right? And, and yeah. I think a part of like maybe what Caleb was saying, I'm a little more sympathetic to some of the technology. Is I really believe that we need to try to be intentional with it because we live in a world that it's just consumed with it, so we can't escape it, right? Escape it any way I mean, you we can. could, right? We could, but it's kind of key. I think if we could be more intentional with it and kind of teach our kids to be intentional with technology, it, it may fare better in the future for them potentially. But yeah, just I I don't think it really. We don't need it in the house. No, I don't need to watch the screen every day. Yeah, you know, a lot of it's just that um, that conversation that needs to be had, you know, between uh, spouses on you know how much television is taking up time from the family. I mean, so, so for me and my wife, it just. You know, that was something that we did for four hours a night. Yeah. You know, just spend so much time. And, and the kids are playing or whatever. But, I mean, you don't, you're not really there. No. You know, and, and those are important moments for them. And what you really get from the TV anyway. Yeah. You know, and you can make all these excuses. Well, I'm watching the Bearded Butchers, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, honing my craft a little bit, you know, yeah. or something like that. But it's so easy to get sucked in a rabbit hole, though, right? Yeah, you, You'll absolutely. go to YouTube like to really genuinely want to learn something that someone who's a professional can teach you how to do. Yeah. But then you see the suggested videos. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. I kind of want to know this, too. Oh, well, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole, and before you know it, you're like, how yeah. do they make crayons? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It's just, it, it's, not con- no. it's not conducive to really learn anything or even go do anything. You'll yep. learn it, but instead of going and doing it, you'll want to watch more videos. Exactly. Right? No, instead of that, just live real life. Yeah. You know, if you if you get into you like homesteading YouTube, which I was really big into, like, <laughs> yeah. and then I realized, no, you know, what, just make a garden, like, yeah. butcher your own animals, like it's it's not that difficult. You know, yeah. our ancestors have been doing it forever. Well, the hard part is you'll see these people doing videos. All right, yeah, we'll get back on track here in a second. <laughs> we kind of went on a tangent, but you'll see these people doing this stuff on the videos, and then you'll you'll go and do it yourself. But they've been doing it for ten years, exactly. And you, and you do it, you do it, it the first time, yeah, and you suck at it, and yeah. then you quit, right? So you, you don't learn how to do something because you want to do it. Yeah. You, you, you think it looks cool, and that seems cool, so yeah. then you want to do it. Right? You know what gets you over that hump? Yeah. The first time you shoot a cow in the head, <laughs> and they realize, oh, shoot, I better do something with this. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're tired of, you know, siding the, the beef out or anything like that. Like, you yeah. better finish the thing. So yeah. that's kind of nice. The nice thing about butchering. But uh, I'm a big proponent. Everybody should uh, butcher their own animals if you're going to eat meat, for sure. Yeah. Or at least know where your food comes from, you know. Definitely. That's a, that's a big part, so. Um, yeah, kind of get back, back on track. If you guys, whoever, whoever's out there listening is probably going to learn fast. That Just we, our moms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they know us. They know we kind of yeah. go on rabbit, hole, rabbit trails, whatever. But, yeah, so John Sr., after he converted to Catholicism and kind of finally found his truth, he kind of dove head on in because he already had a great base. Found the truth. Found the truth, yeah. Yes. There it is, right there. <laughs> but he, he get found this Eastern stuff out of here, Rowdy. <laughs> I've been reading too much. Yeah, you've been, you've been on the telephone too much, bro. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he found the truth, right? And so he had a great foundation, and when he found the truth of, uh, of the faith and, and all of it, he found St. Thomas Aquinas. And that was just like, I think it just like hammered it home for him. Like, here's this medieval times dude who just 
any question you could ever think of. He's thought through it and three yeah. arguments against it and rebutted those. Not arguments. like medieval times with like the sword fighting. No, no, no. You no. know, but like lived in the 1200s. You yeah. know, so. yeah. And uh, and Augustine the same. You know, he he kind of found the poetic side of it and yeah. the uh, the more flowery language, beautiful language of Saint Which Augustine I feel like was a culmination of what made him into be the man that he was. Was that he he loved learning and he loved language and he loved to read. Yeah. And he never he prided himself on never going to like secondary sources. Yeah. He was able to go straight into like St. Thomas Aquinas Which and the is Summa. crazy. Yeah. yeah. Like if any, if any of you out there have ever read the Summa, yeah. it's dense. Oh, yeah. Right? If you don't have a background in like Aristotle or the ethics yeah, yeah, or anything, yeah. like it's it's all going to go over your head and you're going to have to be like, hey man, explain this to me like I'm five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, or, you know, and, and every single question in the Summa is basically, you know, there's a, there's a, a question and then there's the, uh, Three biggest objections to it. You know, yeah. what, what do other people say? St. Thomas responds to those objections, and then he gives his his answer, his respondia. And so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty crazy, even if you're reading it, because you might read the first question and see objection one, and you're like, oh, that's good. You know, there it is. That's the answer right there. <laughs> well, well and what's crazy is it's super dense in English, but he would read some of that stuff in its original language in Latin. Oh, yeah. Because he, he knew All it because he taught yeah. it, right? And so he read stuff in the original language because he wanted... And French. In French, Which yeah. is crazy. He, he wanted to go to the original source of all this knowledge, right? And so yeah. he had a... And that's probably what made him such a great teacher. Yeah. Is that he had such a hold on the truths, yeah. right? And so he could just... He could talk about them freely, unlike us. No, right? yeah. He'd probably say we weren't even good with the English language. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't yeah. imagine. I'm definitely not that good at, at Latin. So... uh but yeah, so he did that, and he really dove in, dove in on that, and he bounced around to some different colleges. Like he went, he taught at Columbia yeah. for a while. Uh, Wyoming Catholic after Wyoming, like he was there for a minute, and then I think what the book said is that um, there was a the committee was gonna the council committee of the college was gonna elect a new dean, and he pretty much told him like if you elect this dude, I'm leaving. And sure enough, they did, and sure <laughs> enough, he left. <laughs> like, he was a man of his word, and so he left. Absolutely. But he had a I think it was a former student. Or someone who said, "Hey, we'll hire you over here at University of Kansas, and you can kind of run your own thing." Yeah, you know, and that kind of got him started. And so he started teaching there, and he didn't. It said in the book that he didn't really like the University of Kansas. Yeah, he wasn't a fan. And then because he didn't really mesh with any of the the professors, but he had he had heard of these other two guys, right? Yeah, Dennis Quinn and Frank Nillick. Frank Nillick. Yeah, he'd heard of them, but they never really talked. And then what finally got him to approach them or talk to them was a student was like, yeah, you guys would, <laughs> yeah, y- y'all would mesh. And so he, they ended up talking and all three of them just clicked. Yeah. Right. And they all kind of had the same view of truth and the necessary, the necessary truth that of it, it exists. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Outside of ourselves. <laughs> and that Dennis Quinn, he was of the same faith. He was a Catholic and, uh, Neelik was a uh, Anglican. And so they all had a pretty firm foundation in their their own faith and their own journey, right? Mm-hmm. And so they'd already lived a bunch of lives. Like they say that Neelix's life was crazier than seniors, which is kind of wild. Oh, really? He literally joined the circus, they said. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I, awesome. after reading this one about senior, I'm curious about the other two, if there's yeah, anything yeah, out yeah. there on them. But, um, yeah, I haven't seen too much, as much information on them yeah. as those guys. But yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, he had such a such a big program. I mean, so this... This integrated humanities program was like mm-hmm. something that students could take the first two years that they went to school, and they studied the the great works of 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 the Western civilization, or as uh, which is what secularists call it, or as he put Christendom, you know. And so, um, yeah, it was it was a this awesome program that ended up with over two hundred converts to the faith, a lot of uh, priests and religious. So um, yeah, would would join. And so you know, part of the reason it got shot 
get got shut down was because uh, he was getting so much uh, yeah. converts. You know, people were accusing him of you know brainwashing the college kids. Yeah, you know, because this was this was the seventies. I think the program was like seventy one to seventy nine. With all three of the professors there, and yeah, they 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 were all okay with it, and everything was all fine and dandy. But like, I think in seventy seven or seventy eight, it was the it was the class that was the closest, and that was the class that had the most converts. And as soon as they heard wind that they were over in Europe abroad, and people were like thinking about joining the monastery and, and converting to Catholicism, like while they were abroad, yeah. the college was like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes, yeah, right? Yeah, you yeah. can't indoctrinate these kids, yeah. you know. Which is which is man, it's also funny because. He in their curriculum of the IHP, the Integrated Humanities Program, mm-hmm. which gonna, I'm going to call it the IHP for short, um, which they did too. Um, they didn't even they didn't even push Jesus or the Christ yeah, or the Church. No. They didn't they didn't want to do that. They just wanted to like they wanted to draw like draw the questions and the answers out of you. They would literally just pick a passage from a great book, read it, and talk about it, mm-hmm. and point out the obvious truths. That these that these authors were saying that reality exists and that God created it. You know? <laughs> well, they wouldn't even say that. They, no, they, they, yeah, they were very intentional with like they don't want to like shove it down your throat. They even had criticism for the seminaries at the time yeah. because the seminaries they weren't teaching people to find truth and to see truth. They were just they were teaching theology and stuff as yeah. definitions to be memorized. Exactly. Yeah. Right? They weren't teaching you how to read the Summa. They mm-hmm. would just say, "Hey, memorize this passage of the Summa and take it as gospel," yeah. which is, I mean. It is, but it, I mean... It, it's not wrong, yeah. but it's not like the correct way to form a human mind into knowing and understanding. Yeah, yeah, and, and to was, actually knowing, having yeah. that real knowledge. And that, that kind of brings us to like John Sr.'s whole philosophy of education, which was, you know, in Bethel's book, that knowing the good, the true, and the beautiful is like kind of a running theme in his book, yeah. which I feel like is the whole purpose of John Sr.'s teaching life. Yeah, yeah, what he did. Was showing people how to know the good, the true, and the beautiful, Yeah, right? Um, the way that everybody's always done it through music, <laughs> yeah. through great books, you yeah. know, and yeah, so through his, looking at the stars. Yeah, one of his things was if you, like, you can't, you can't expect to understand if you're a Christian, right? And you can't expect to understand God and get to know God if you don't even know the world around you that He created. Exactly. That you can see and hear and smell and taste. If yeah. you don't, if you don't relish in that and understand it. Yep. How do you expect to have a relationship with a God that you can't see? Yeah. Well, you know, and, and uh, that was actually, it might have been Vatican I, the first Vatican Council declaration that, no, it's got to go back earlier than that. But it was that that um, the truth of God's existence can be known by looking at the visible world around us. Yeah. Like alone. You know, we don't need revelation to tell us that God exists. You can look at the world and know that God exists. Go outside and look at the stars yeah. and, and the love which moves the stars, and you'll know that God exists. The only, per, the only time when that's not true is, is the fact that you're not looking at the stars yeah. and you're not living in reality. Which is something people don't do anymore. No, people don't, people right. don't live in I think reality. I was, since we're on a podcast, I, was, I heard Joe Rogan, something from him, where oh, he, yeah. was, he, was, he went to some observer, observatory that was, they're able to get above the clouds mm-hmm. and away from the light pollution, and he was like, he was like, dude, no wonder these people said what they said about the world. Like, if this is what we saw every night, we'd all believe in God. And he's like a stout atheist, yeah. right? Or agnostic. And so it just, it just goes to show of how, how much we don't even, we don't even look up anymore. Yeah. And there's a whole universe out there that we could be pondering, right? And exactly. And being amazed by it. But now we just. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, God created all this, God created every single one of the stars and just so that, 
so that you could know he exists, yeah. you know, so that you could see it, know that how much he loves you. He created them for us. And so uh, that's one thing that we're going to do more of. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I've been doing for a couple of years now, like yeah. making a point to like, you know, look at the, look up at the stars, mm-hmm. you know, and realize that, you know, God loves us. Yeah. And you can't look at the stars even and, and not know that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like it just happens when you're out there doing it. So we're going to be doing a lot of stuff kind of like that during this podcast as we go along. We're going to be doing living real lives because it's just what we do. But we're we're doing it more intentionally now. So yeah. we're butchering cow. You know, this is <laughs> this is going to be my my second cow I butchered. Um, I butchered one last year, but, you know, I've done lots of pigs and that kind of stuff. So we're, yeah. we're living in the real world. We're going to be going, looking at stars. We're going to be going to uh, to see some of the great um, symphonies and stuff like that together yeah. uh, with our with our families yeah. and experiencing just reality. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, to dive more into seniors' thought process with education, too, is he was, like I said, he was really intent on, well, he saw like with Mark Van Duren's program, oh, yeah. the Great Books program, that he, it just wasn't landing. Yeah. The kids were taking it and they were, you know, reading the books and passing the classes, but, yeah. but none of them were really like grasping it, right? And so he, he really thought about it and he figured out what he thought to be the solution, which it seems like he might have been right. Yeah, worked. Was, he kind of went back to the Greeks and how they, figured you should teach people, right? And you need to be fluent in gymnastics and music. And when I say music, music can be music for your ears, reading poetry, poetry. theater, mm-hmm. like all of those type of the arts. I think that's probably more of a modern term as the arts, mm-hmm. right? And because that goes back to say, we need gymnastics because we need to know the world, we need to feel the world, know our bodies, how to run, how to jump, how to interact with nature. Yeah. And then the poetic mode of knowledge, the, the arts, they kind of help you I don't know, grasp these feelings, but put, put them in words or put them in something that you can really hold on to. Yeah. And so, you know, feelings are those things that you have in the shower, you know, those thoughts that come up when you're not <laughs> listening. Thoughts. Yeah. When you're not listening to music for yeah. once, you know, or, or listening oh, yeah. to the, to the screen that's telling you something, you know, yeah. those, those things that come to your mind, anxieties, or maybe mm-hmm. uh, great thoughts. Like, you know, people have those all day long. You're just shutting them down. Yeah. You know, and so you're, you're pacifying, which is another problem with technology these days. Is we're yeah. just we're pacifying ourselves with this stuff constantly. Yeah, you know, and and so with, with that being said, he he figured out that these college kids they're like at an elementary level. Like, there's oh, no yeah. way they're going to be able to understand these books if they're in the elementary level in like the seventies, right? You know what I mean? Like, what are we what are we at now, <laughs> oh, bro? <dude. laughs> Sometimes when I after reading this book, I was like, man, what would what would John Senior say right now? Oh yeah, All well, smash your cell phone for sure. Oh yeah, but um, but uh, but he he realized that these kids they there was no way they were going to be able to grasp any of this information. No, and so because they don't even know the the real world. Yeah, and so that's what the integrated humanities program was trying to do was literally like the first year they were reading like Homer and like poetry. And yeah, they had they had assignments where they would literally take the class out and look at the stars. They tell them we want you to memorize these poems. Just sit down and memorize them. Mm-hmm. Right, because that's another thing we can go into too is his thought on memory and how we've lost that. Oh, um, which I'm sure his book went a lot more into that than mine did. But um, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm trying to I'm trying to trace back to the book, but uh, but yeah. So he figured that we have to. They have no foundation, and so he started to build a foundation and work their way up to the great books, and that teamed with three amazing professors, and it just exploded. Transformed people's yeah, lives. Yeah, because think about in the 70s, right? Yeah. You're, 
sexual revolution is. I mean, like, we weren't alive, but we're we'll, we'll try to you know <laughs> well, yeah, well, imagine. Yeah, like but it was the sexual revolution was full yeah. blast, right? Mm-hmm. And everything was changing. Technology yeah. was booming. And the church in the world. And, these, and there's 18 year olds like during Vietnam, like. Mm-hmm. But the kids that were going through this program, they were starting to. The girls were starting to wear skirts. You know, the men were starting to dress a little nicer, cut their hair, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it's it's wild that that had such an impact. And I, yeah, I, during I, that time. Kind of not devil's advocate, but like I definitely understand why there was like a knee jerk reaction because this one program and these kids are acting like this, mm-hmm. right? Because one of the accusations that was thrown against the program was it was a cult and they were indoctrinating these kids, you know, which they weren't which into is, the truth. I mean, heck, <laughs> if they were, you know, <laughs> that's fine, right? In, in, yeah, you know, and and so just uh, that's kind of a background of their whole philosophy in the program and kind of how we've alluded to. It only lasted for like ten years, yeah. I think, and but had huge conversions. So there, yeah. there was a couple of bishops in the United States right now: mm-hmm. the Bishop of Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, Bishop Conley, and I think uh, Coxley as well was yeah. uh, went through the program was a convert. And then you've got an abbot uh, who, so they found a monastery. Some of the kids uh, in John Senior found a, a monastery, Fontgibeau, uh, in uh, France, which was one of the actually Benedictine monasteries that was actually still living the life. Um, using the Latin monastic uh, breviary and uh, actually living according to the rule of St. Benedict, which is what built Western civilization, mm-hmm. really. I mean, in a substantial way in Europe. Um, and so they, they found this monastery that was still living that. And then after that, for Christmas break, kids would uh, would go up there every year. And uh, eventually some of them stayed. I think there was nine of them originally that stayed. Yeah. And then seven uh, remained. And the, the the goal was always, or the hope was always, that one day um, the kids, the boys, might be able to come back down to uh, the United States and and start a monastery in the United States. And they did that at Clear Creek Abbey, mm-hmm. which is a place me and Rowdy love to go. Yeah. Um, and this was actually, uh, and so the abbot of Clear Creek and the uh, prior, which is who Rowdy's been talking about, uh, Father Prior Bethel, yeah, were both students. Uh, of uh, John Senior had conversions under him, yeah, and are still amongst to this day, and so um, yeah, it's really which is if anyone other has never even heard of it, probably probably haven't heard of it, but man, it's an experience. Oh yeah, it's like there's no AC, and it's it's just, it's just like in the middle of nowhere. What is it? Yeah. Somewhere in Oklahoma, Hudson, yeah, Oklahoma? right in uh, Holbert, Oklahoma, Holbert, Oklahoma, yeah. middle of nowhere. And you just you're driving on this gravel path, and you just come up, and there's just this giant church. Yeah. Right. And so, when you go in there, and it is like silence, like you've never heard it. Yeah. Right. Because you know, even silence today, there's always that that hum of electricity, the the AC in the background, or the yeah. fridge in the in the kitchen. Right. But the difference is that the silence is is silence with peace. Yeah. You know. And it's a peace like you've never heard or experienced, and it yeah. was it was definitely. I don't know if transcendence the word, but it was, I, I definitely, I'm going to go back. It's not even a if about it. It's going to happen, right? And I would recommend anyone go and check it out. Yeah, you know? I, I usually go, I usually go twice a year and, and Rowdy was, uh, came with me on our, on my last retreat there. So yeah. it's awesome. I'm going through uh, to like become an oblate. So I'm in, in the novitiate to become an oblate of Clear Creek, which means you, you just kind of, you live life in the world, but you kind of uh, try to adopt uh, some of the monastic practices into your life so you pray the the monastic diurnal or the literal office of the blessed virgin mary which is basically what the monks pray yeah eight different times a day you know they wake up yeah. at five o'clock 
um, pray for an hour until six, and then they pray for an hour. You know, at, yeah. at eight they pray for you know thirty minutes. You know, yeah. the, it just it it marks their entire day. So um, it was like being transported back in time, literally. Yeah. Like I've heard it said, especially with you know, if anyone's caught up in Catholic news, like the liturgy wars and all that. Like it, it really when you hear that phrase, like this is the mass that Saint Thomas Aquinas attended. Yeah, celebrate. Right, and so it's, it's the traditional like Latin mass, yep. like they're uh, at Orientum. There's beautiful chants, beautiful chants, and they're, they're chanting back and forth. Yeah, because you, you have the I don't even know the terms. yeah the choirs. You have the choirs, right? And like, it's just it's literally like you just stepped into a medieval cathedral. Yeah, you know, which is wild. Yeah, and you've got you've got <laughs> it's it's just it's absolutely beautiful. Um, the the best some of the best chants in the world. Um, mm-hmm. from the uh, congregation of Salim, which had Don Prosper Geringer, who uh, restored chant um, to to you know in in the monasteries, yeah. and so it's it's a it's a wonderful place yeah, to they're go. Not even, they're not even doing it like popping up a building real quick and building a church. Like no. they're doing it nice, yeah. and slow building it to last a thousand years. Yeah, because like I think the time that I went, they had just finished the carving right outside the main door. Oh yeah, and it was hand carved. Yeah, hand carved. Hand carved. Yeah. Like uh, probably I don't know ten by ten of just this beautiful stone of Christ the King. Yeah, I was there when they started carving it the first time, yeah. or the first two times. I think the guy was still there carving it, you know. So it was it was pretty cool. It's it's awesome to see it now. And the, these monks live, you know. Uh, they they said if you if you prayed all day, you'd, you'd you'd go crazy. So the monks, you know, pray eight hours a day, and they work eight hours a day, and they sleep eight hours a day. Yeah. And so. Uh, the other eight hours are not working on cell phones or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They're working with their hands, growing their own food, milking their own cows, making their own cheese, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so they, they're living real life. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not yeah. medicating themselves Which is, um, with a it, telephone and cigarettes. And <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure we can get it. Like, I keep saying we're going to get into this. I mean, because hopefully we will down the line talk about all these things in more detail. Yeah. But just the idea of a monastery and a monk and, like, why, why do we need that? Right, and they kind of go in. They went into it in a movie we saw recently called Free, about some monasteries. But they also went into it into Father Bethel, Bethel's book of why, like these, these men and women who decide to join the monasteries are living a life that's clo- the closest to God that you can get on earth. Yeah. Right, and they're they're living the life that Saint Paul wished we would all live. Yeah. We can't, right? Cause yeah, we got we got to fruitful keep, multiply. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. But in in what did they say in that movie? That sh- this this one nun described it as like they are the they're the park in New York City. Right, it's the only greenery in this chaotic, you know, death culture of a world. Yeah, that gives life to that New York. Gives life, right? Yeah. It, it just it literally air life to, to breathe. The world. Yeah, yeah, and that's what the monastery is. You know, in, in in this monastery in the middle of Holbert, Oklahoma, where everything is chanted in Latin, and the monks wake up every morning at you know four fifty five. You know, there's seventy young young guys there. Yeah, and there's uh, I think thirty five priests or something. You know, around that. So I mean, it's it's just amazing. It's an amazing uh, symbol of of Christendom. Yeah, it's a, an amazing example that Jesus is real. Yeah, that the truth exists. That He's a person. That He created the world, and that because of this, you know, it's worth giving your whole life for for yeah. something for Him. You know. Yeah. And that that's what the monks are a beautiful example of, uh, just you know, giving up your entire life for Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's a beautiful life. Kind of the probably the the theme of the podcast is just going to be like us us discovering 
rediscovering reality yeah. because we live in a world of uh, rel- 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 oh man relativism there yeah for yeah. sure it, it's it's relevant to, oh my goodness relativism versus <laughs> realism yeah and how you know there's not it's not find your own truth and figure your own truth out for yourself yeah. it's there is truth and there's truth to be known and to be had and to be loved yeah. right and and us trying to find that Absolutely. Yeah. So we're doing that, you know, by reading these a thousand good books, because, you know, we, we grew up in this uh, pornified uh, technological age, you know, and so our, our imaginations have been broken. We didn't go through these growing up. And yeah. so John Sr. says, though, that you can regain your imagination. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to do by going through these a thousand good books with him. And we're going to come together and we're going to talk about them every week. So it's yeah. going to be kind of fun to hear us uh, not talk about uh, realism or or, or whatever. <laughs> Too philosophical that we don't have any kind of any business talking yeah, about. Yeah, <laughs> as quarter educated people. But instead of that, we're going to be talking about, you know, Aesop's fables and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. we're excited for the podcast. Hopefully, I mean, if we get more sophisticated in the future, we might get, um, post it somewhere. You know, po- post the list of a thousand great books. Obviously, if anyone's oh, yeah. listening, you can look it up online. You'll find it, right? Yeah, for sure. If you just search uh, John Sr.'s thousand good books, yeah. you'll find it. So, yeah. So, next next time, we're probably going to... Well, we're going through Aesop's Fables. Aesop's Fables, yep. And then after right. that, we're going to do Arabian Nights. Okay. All right. So, yeah. yeah we're just going to wing it. and Yeah. If you're joining us, I don't know why, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining yeah. us. We hope you enjoyed the first podcast. Hi, Mom. Yeah, hi mom. We're we're excited to to begin this journey. We hope you'll enter into this journey with us as well. And uh you can uh make sure you subscribe. Yeah. Follow us. You know, hit the icon or whatever. I don't know what you do with podcasting. Or don't or smash it. Or smash your phone and uh just real live in real life. I mean that would be never listen to never listen to us again. Yeah. I mean, obviously we kinda want you to. Your soul you know, convert to the faith and and, uh, smash your phone. (laughs) Worst (laughs) worst outro ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But. No, so yeah, we're but this is uh, the rediscovering reality yeah. podcast because that's what we're trying to do in our lives, and so yes, sir. And we uh, we want to dedicate this entire podcast because one of the things that John Senior says the the way we you know kind of rebuild Christendom in a sense is is uh, by um, consecrating ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and so we want to do that with this podcast and uh, ask for Our Lady's intercession. And so are you good with closing with the Hail Mary? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, amen. St. Benedict, pray for us. Pray for us. <laughs> Later. <laughs>